Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Well, today we're beginning a brand new series uh, on the fruit of the Spirit, as Grace mentioned. And in a nation uh, deeply divided, what we need now more than ever is the clear evidence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Um, You know, the division that we experience and that we're all kind of feeling deep down in our bones uh, is very real. And it's real even among Christians. Uh, on On the one hand, we find, I can kind of say, like, this is kind of understandable, right? Like this deep division on one hand is understandable because each side of any kind of political spectrum or any side of any particular uh, matter or issue uh, really feels that this, they need to passionately defend what they believe to be the truth. Each side speaking up and then speaking out against what they see as terrible evils that are putting our nation, uh, our lives, even our faith at risk. And the stakes are high. In fact, not long ago, I was talking with a friend, and with this friend, I was giving my honest hot take, right, on a particular subject, and um, as I got really passionate and started kind of flapping my wings like I often do up here, um, this friend looked back at me and said, you know, it was just yesterday that someone that I know and respect and love felt the exact opposite on this particular thing. And the question that the friend had for me was, how do we know what we're supposed to think in a world so divided? That's a really good question. It's an important question. Uh, because the reality is, is like it can be so disorienting. I, I don't know about you, but these have been disorienting days that on top of dealing with the pandemic and all the things related to that, you find this kind of deep division in our lives. And so it's a very disorienting time. And so as Christians, how do we make sense of things? How do we go about the process of discernment? Um, How are we to act in the midst of such division? Well, I want to say to you, and this is at risk of sounding too simplistic, but I, I think a really important metric for us is to look at the fruit. Uh, This principle, by the way, can be universally applied, right? Uh, What is the fruit of the Spirit? What are the fruit of the lives and the policies of the politicians that we choose to support? But then also, not just kind of using it as as a method of discernment, but also using it as a method of introspection then, what is the fruit of our own lives as we converse and debate and talk about these important things? Now, I know that many of you, well, to many of you, this will sound too simplistic, there's, uh, but I would want to submit to you that there's actually great wisdom in this, that this method of discernment. Uh, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and by the way, can I do, uh, here, here's an aside, here's a hot take for us this morning. <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount is essentially the constitution of the kingdom of God. Uh, And and so we can spend all the time that we want defending the American Constitution, but if it comes at the cost of the Constitution of the Kingdom of God and the Sermon on the Mount, then as Christians, our allegiances have been mixed up. Okay, so there's our hot take for the morning. (laughs) Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is essentially the Constitution of the Kingdom of God, so we can defend the American Constitution all we want, but if it comes at the cost of ignoring the Sermon on the Mount, then as the people of God, our allegiances are mixed up. But here's what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. He says this, 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. All grapes gathered from th- are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles. In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and then thrown into the fire. Thus, you will know them by their fruits. So this is, in fact, the very metric that Jesus gives us for both discerning how are we to respond and and, and operate in a world that is deeply divided, but also gives us this as a way of introspection as well. That we need to look at the fruit of the lives of the people, but also look at the fruit of our own lives as we engage in debate and conversation. And I find this actually really, really compelling. Uh, again, on the surface, it feels really, really simplistic, but I think if we dive into this, this is really, really compelling, because this, in fact, is Jesus' words surrounding kind of false prophets. It's, it's, he's, he's essentially saying uh, that they may say things to get your amens, they may even do things that look righteous, but in the end, what we need to do is look at the fruit of their lives. And so over the next several weeks, what we're going to explore are the fruit of the Spirit that are listed in Galatians chapter 5. And as I've already mentioned or alluded to, I want to first do this to kind of help us get connected to an exercise of discernment. We live in a noisy world where anyone with an internet connection can add their voice and their perspective. And in many ways, this is good and positive, but the, but the byproduct is it produces a whole lot of noise, right? A whole bunch of noise. So we live in a noisy world And we need some way to kind of make our way through the noise. We need a metric of discernment. But we also want to do this as an exercise of introspection. Because if all we do is sort of use it as an exercise of discernment, then we are at risk of uh, just being judgmental, right? And and so to kind of protect us from just being cynical, judgmental toward anyone else and saying, oh, your, your fruit isn't like it should be. <laughs> we want to first use it as a method of introspection and then also a method of discernment. Does this make sense? So, uh, so as we engage with one another and in a world where everything has been politicized, and if everything is politicized, then everything can be divisive, right? So we, li- we are currently living in a world where everything is politicized, which means Anything is up for grabs in terms of that thing being divisive. And so we want to just pause and say, are our own lives showing these fruit of the Spirit? And then use it as a point of discernment as well. So what are these fruit of the Spirit? Well, Grace uh, did a great job of having them memorized, not looking down at her notes and, and offering up the fruits of the Spirit. But let's read it also from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, just verses 22 and 23. By contrast, and that is that Paul has just listed works of the flesh, uh, and now he says, by contrast then, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, it's important to realize, and I didn't read it, but, but in, just prior to the, to the passage that we read in the verse, 
Uh, Paul says there are works of the flesh and there are fruit of the Spirit. And I think that distinction is really, really important because the Apostle Paul does not talk about these characteristics as works or as acts of righteousness, but rather refers to them as the fruit that is of the Spirit. In other words, these are not things that we strive for, but these are things that blossom in us as we pursue God. And so the fruit of the Spirit is the character of God made manifest in the believer. The fruit of the Spirit is the very character of God made manifest in the believer. And so as the Spirit of Christ lives in you, then the character of Christ also shines through our lives. And what this means is that we can put away any guilt that we might have for not being more joyful or not having more patience, right? If you're anything like me, you might look, come across a passage like this where the fruit of the Spirit is in, then you get this list of things and I immediately go to, you know what, I need to be more joyful. Or I immediately kind of put a burden of guilt on myself like shrink my shoulders and say, you know, I just am not very patient or I'm not very these things. And I kind of grade myself on these things to which I'm spo- I feel that I might be supposed to be striving for. This is not the point of the fruit of the Spirit. Otherwise, they'd be called the works of righteousness, right? And there's maybe a time and a place to talk about our own effort and the own kind of cultivation of these things in our lives, our participation in the work of, that God is doing in our lives. There's a time and a place to talk about that. But Paul is saying the fruit of the Spirit, the things that blossom in us are these things as we simply pursue God and allow the character of Christ to shine in us through the power of the Spirit. Amen? Now, have you ever met a truly gentle person who was so proud of how gentle they were? Have you ever met a truly loving person who bragged about how loving they were? No. And the reason is because uh, these are the fruit of the Spirit. The old, my, my experience is that people who manifest these traits in their lives Uh, These are things that have blossomed in them, things that have grown in them, and they aren't attached to any particular work in their lives except the work of pursuing God. That's the work. That's the endeavor. The endeavor is to pursue God, pursue truth, pursue the character of God, and as we do that, these fruits begin to blossom in us. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Now, the very first, you'll notice that the the very first fruit that Paul mentions is love. And this is not an accident. Uh, I don't know that these are necessarily in kind of hierarchical order, but I do believe that love is listed first for a reason. Uh, Because love is the core characteristic of God, therefore also of the Spirit, of which all the others are expressions of. Okay? And so, uh, love is the fruit, while the slices of the fruit are the other kind of acts or characteristics of the Spirit. As illustrated here, like if you were to have an orange and you kind of break it into all these other uh, characteristics of the Spirit, love is the fruit itself, the core fruit, and then all the other things are expressions of or things that come out of the core characteristic of love. That is the same way, so this is the same in the life of the believer as it is with the character of God. 
So oftentimes we might have all these kind of characteristics of God, right? We might say he's all-knowing, he's all-loving, uh, we might say we might include judgment, we might include all these kind of characteristics of God, but these are all expressions of or expressed through the core characteristic of God, which is love. And then the same becomes true for the believer, right? That the core characteristic of our lives is love, and then all these other things are an outpouring of that. Love is the glue that holds all the other characteristics together. In fact, we kind of get this if we actually are looking at all of Galatians chapter 5. Because what we find is much of this chapter is about how walking in the Spirit leads to or allows us to live into this life of love that's made manifest ultimately through love of neighbor. And let me give you a couple of examples. In, in the beginning of the chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, in the last part of that verse, it says, Paul says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now that in and of itself, that statement, just that statement is challenging enough, right? That already is sort of a jar to our practice of faith that oftentimes we elevate so many other things above practicing those things with love. Remember last week I said, uh, if your doctrine doesn't allow you or lead you to love your neighbor, you have bad doctrine, right? Uh, then, then this is similar to that. Like this statement, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. That's challenging in and of itself. Even more challenging is when we learn the context. Paul is teaching this truth in a context where Jewish and Gentile believers are deeply divided over what it means to follow Christ. They're deeply divided. Ultimately, what, ha what is happening is Jewish believers are trying to grapple with Gentiles being allowed into the faith even if they don't participate in Jewish practices and Jewish laws. And so there's all kinds of considerations here, like kosher law, circumcision for males. There's all these Jewish practices and the Gentiles are like, I don't think we need all that. And the Jewish believers are saying, yes, you do, if you want to be included in this group. Right? And so there's deep division over what it means to follow Christ among the Jewish and Gentile believers. And Paul essentially says that all of your concern over Jewish practice is of no value, for what matters is faith working itself out through love. In other words, Paul says that as you argue and debate over what it means to work out your faith, the way to actually work out your faith is to love one another in the midst of the division. Right? Woo, that is so hard. Which is to say the way in which we argue and debate is probably more important than what we are arguing and debating. Are you with me? The way in which we argue and debate and converse and talk and work out our faith is probably more important than the content of what we're actually trying to work out. In other words, I think it would just really help the church deeply divided in this political season if we recognize this. Truth is perfect. Our understanding of it is not. And let's just allow the burden to be lifted. Truth is perfect. Our understanding of it is not. 
And truth is ultimately revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, right? Christians, uh, at least when I was growing up, I don't know that we say this so much anymore, but when I was growing up, Christians would often say, I want my life to be so different that people notice. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you've heard it recently. Uh, this is a popular kind of sentiment among the people of God, is I want my, I want my life to be so different that people notice. Uh, which is to say that we want our faith to be visible to other people, right? And, and a lot of times, if we only intellectualize our faith, our, the, the byproduct of that is our faith becomes invisible. <laughs> if, 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 if our faith is wholly summarized in the doctrines that we hold, then essentially our faith is invisible. And, and Christians kind of wrestling with this have often said, but I want my faith to become visible. And sometimes we've translated that into, I need to defend my doctrine. And again, there's always time and place to talk and wrestle with doctrine. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm, I love theology and the study of theology. But if we want our faith to be visible, instead of invisible, love is the way. Right? If, if the faith is made visible by the way in which we love. Now, these are challenging words, particularly in this context. And, but I wonder how jarring it must have been for the Apostle Paul to say to a deeply divided church among Jewish and Gentile believers, the only thing that counts is faith working itself out through love. And I imagine some people on both sides were like, you know, that Apostle Paul, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's not living in the real world. I said that most of this chapter, a lot of Galatians chapter 5, is about how we kind of work this out through the way, in, through our love. How does love made manifest in our life? The first example is Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith working itself out in love. The next example is Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15. And I do, and we will have this up on the screen for you. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. For if you bite and destroy and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, do you think the conflict in Galatia was real? If Paul has to say, if you bite and, and devour one another, you will be destroyed by one another, right? It's like this has, this has kind of gone past, just we're just talking about ideas. This, has gone, this, is, this is a real, real division and conflict. And as I talk about the, the love of God and, and God's call for us to love neighbor, uh, one of the things that often comes up, and this comes up not only in my practice as a pastor, but oftentimes in my uh, practice as a teacher, in, my, in the classes that I teach and helping uh, folks toward the process of ordination in those classes, one of the main critiques I get is we can't just live with love all the time. Or, or there, there's this concept that love is sort of this soft, weak position. Uh, and, and so the question that might come up in our own minds today is, if we're called to love, and love is the core fruit, the core characteristic, and, and all these things, then what does it actually mean to, 
love and how is love made manifest in our lives? And I want to offer just a couple thoughts. Paul says that real freedom is the ability to serve one another. And so rather than kind of borrowing the cultural understanding of love, which is maybe soft, maybe weakness, maybe only given to sort of the romantic expression of love, I want to draw us into and invite us into maybe a God-centered, Christ-centered expression of love, which, which is service and advocacy. Love is service and advocacy. Love is humility toward others. Love is hospitality toward others. Love is cheapened when we see ourselves as better or more valuable. Love is the ability to humbly serve another. In which, in the service, I'm not projecting myself as better, more valuable, more capable than someone else so that I am from a high position serving those in a low position, but rather I humble myself so that we are on equal plane and then we serve one another. You with me? This is so difficult to do. Right? And so it's like maybe this is the ideal to which we ought to reach and this is the, I, the thing that we ought to always be introspective of. As I serve other people, am I doing it out of a heart of p- humble purity seeking to love others or am I doing it as one who has everything figured out and I just want to help those who are less than? So ultimate true love. This is, this is by the way, illustrated for us perfectly in the person of Christ and the poem recorded in chapter 2, that God, having all of the rights and privileges of God, let go of those rights and privileges in order that he might become flesh and become obedient even unto death. What Jesus is doing in that moment is that the God of the universe, creator, who has all the rights and privileges of divinity, is letting those rights and privileges go, humbling himself in order that he might serve humanity as one of us. So love is service, advocacy, humility, hospitality. We, we must also understand that Paul is speaking to a Jewish audience who has formed a large part of their identity from the law, right? And so if you were, if you were a, a first century Jewish person, you have grown up in a culture that was, if you f- kind of follow the laws of God, then you are, you are good and you have all this identity. The law is what tells us who we are as a people, right? There was, it would be impossible to overstate the importance of the law in forming the identity of the Jewish people. And so it is absolutely central to their identity. And then the Apostle Paul has the audacity to come in into this largely Jewish audience and say the entirety of the law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which, by the way, you know from last week that he's borrowing the words of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on this. Love your neighbor as yourself. That essentially what the, what the prophets were trying to say is to enter into a way of life in which is centered on the other and love of the other. 
Now, here's, here's the thing, and I want to I do just a little tiny turn of phrase that I hope will help you here. I used to think that loving your neighbor as yourself meant that I should treat my neighbor as I want to be treated. The problem with that, though, is that I, in my position, have a certain experience of the world and certain perspective on the world. And so I've come to see that love your neighbor as yourself rather means putting myself in my neighbor's shoes first and then discovering what I need. You with me? It's not just treating my neighbor as I want to be treated, because then that doesn't draw me into their experience of the world. So what I need to do first, loving my neighbor as myself, means first putting myself in their shoes, entering their world, and then asking, what do I need? Or what do I want? How do I want to be treated now in this position? And that's really, really important. And again, really hard to do. It's no accident that the, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 is kind of giving us these heavy things, right? He's saying the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He's saying all of the law is fulfilled in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying humbly serve one another in love. He's giving us these heavy things to kind of capture. And he knows just as well as you and I know that it would be impossible without the work of the Spirit in our lives. So when he goes, here are the work of the flesh and here are the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love first. He knows, as well as you and I know, that in order to live in these ways, we need the Spirit of God to be evident in our lives. Thanks be to God. You've seen the artwork beside me today, and uh, for those of you in, our, in the room, uh, the artwork that is all along the sides of our sanctuary. As a faith community, we believe in the power of the arts to speak truth and to inspire hearts, and to shape the world. I want to say that again. As a faith community, we believe in the power of arts to speak truth, to inspire hearts, and to shape the world. I especially love when we can kind of combine the medium of the spoken word in preaching along with the visual communication of art. Uh, this happened powerfully in our Greater Than series in 2019. We wanted to do it again this year. And so during this series, the Fruit of the Spirit series, we are partnering with an organization called Christos Collective. Christos Collective is a collection of Christian artists seeking to reclaim God's voice in art and tra to transform hearts and minds. This partnership for this series was forged by our own Melissa Poppy, who is a member of the Christos Collective. And a few years ago, um, and, and again, Melissa is not directly involved in any of this art, but she's a member of the Christos Collective, and we're happy to be partnering with them. But a few years ago, the collective... Uh, had nine artists work collectively and collaboratively on nine works of art representing each of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. And the result of that work is all around our sanctuary today. And this is the painting for love. And so I want to draw your attention to this in our final moments of our message. This is the painting on love. Now I'm, I'm a... Probably like most of you, I feel maybe um, a, a little underqualified to interpret art. But here's what I get from this, uh, this art as I look at it, this, this piece. I notice that the flame in the middle that represents the Spirit of God, this is an image that they're borrowing from the Scriptures, 
to present to us the, the Spirit of God or God himself. But I love how through the Spirit of God, all the people of different color and language and race and nation are connected to the Spirit. Like, just kind of like on a base level, first off, we need to understand that people from all nation, language, and culture and color are in fact connected to the Spirit of God and His love by way of the Spirit of God stamping His image on each one of us at creation. Amen? So that's one thing. But I think it's one thing to kind of be connected to the Spirit through love, but I want you to notice then how the Spirit serves as a conduit for them to be connected to one another. That, that in any kind of, like, without the Spirit of God, what you have is just separate people. And then maybe, maybe people of similar language or color or race or nation, they might have enough kind of camaraderie and commonality to be connected to one another, dare say even love one another. But without the Spirit of God both connecting them to love and then connecting through the Spirit of God, connecting them to one another, they can now, it, remain, it is possible for them to be connected to each other in love. And I would say, what a wonderful picture this is of this passage of Scripture. What a wonderful representation of what it means. That love is the fruit of the Spirit in which all the others are to find their expression. By these people from all different nation and color and language being connected to one another through the loving Spirit of God, that then enables them to show kindness, gentleness, patience, and generosity toward one another. Are you with me? And the Spirit of God is the essential conduit in all of that. It enables them, you might say it this way, to love your neighbor as yourself. To which I would say to us, church, let us cultivate this in one another. Amen? Amen. Let me lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your grace and for your love that you have poured out for us. We pray, God, that in these moments you would uh, remind us of what it means to experience your love and that by experiencing your love, we might be, then be free to love one another. In a world deeply divided, this is extremely difficult. It's always difficult, but it feels particularly difficult in these days. As even the church uh, finds uh, ourselves deeply divided over any number of, of things. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to love one another as, as we work out our faith that you would help us to be first introspective, that we might bear the fruit of the Spirit. And that our chief pursuit might not be that we gain joy or patience or generosity, but that our chief pursuit would be you. And then God, would you also give us discerning hearts? May the Church of the Nazarene, may the capital C Church have discerning hearts and be looking for fruit. And God, 
while these are corporate requests, we recognize that every corporate request is deeply connected to the person, to each and every one of us, to the personal. And so God, may we, as your people, be known for our love. May we, as your people, have the courage to be introspective. We might see the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives. And also, Lord, make us and help us to be discerning people, we pray. And now, God, as we come to your table, we ask that your Spirit would meet us right in this place. Whether we're in this sanctuary, whether we're participating in communion at home, may your Spirit fill the space in which we are at with your presence that we might know and experience you today. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.